I heard that uh, hymn again this week, and I asked Luke if we'd do it this morning. It is a, a, a wonderful, comforting, and strengthening hymn that, that God has given us. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. This is the week that our children are here with us during the whole service, so uh, we're all going to be a part of this here, this teaching here today. Now, you'll notice in your, you might want to change your outline. It says chapter 22. Remember, we did that last week. That was not my secretary's fault. That was my fault. So I put 22 there again. So chapter 26, if you will. Now, as you're turning to chapter 26, I remind you, we're going through the book of Genesis together. And, and many of you have taken the, the daily uh, readings. And, and not only we, but about five or six other churches here in Fountain Hills are going through the same thing, reading the book of Genesis together through uh, we'll go on through the month of November reading this together. So the passages or the messages are tied in with your readings. What I want to draw your attention to this morning is, is, is this, uh, we're going to tie into Isaac. We've looked at two weeks of, of Abraham, and you'll remember even in last week's uh, message, Isaac was present there. Isaac was a young man. What amazed me about Isaac, and, and there's not a whole lot written about Isaac, to tell you the truth, but what amazes me about Isaac is, first of all, he is a shadow or a picture of the son of promise. Ultimately, the son of promise is Jesus. You understand that. And Isaac is given as a picture or a shadow of God's, of God's promise and God's provision through his son Jesus. And last week we talked about how Abraham took Isaac up on Mount Moriah and was about to offer him upon that mountain, yet God provided the ram that was there and Isaac was spared. But the point of that message was that the day would come when God would provide the ultimate lamb of God, that is Jesus Christ, and he would give himself. Jesus, God who asked Abraham to do that would someday do it to his own son, would, would bring his own son. Now, part of that story that I didn't get a chance to mention last week, I want to tie it into this week. You know, Isaac amazes me in that story. If I'm a teenage kid, and, I, and I've been raised up in the church and, or, or in the faith, and I understand that when dad goes off, and there is wood that has been chopped. There is a knife that is carried. And you know that you're heading off to sacrifice. And you get to that place of sacrifice. And you look around. And all you see is the wood for the fire. And you see the knife for the sacrifice. But what you don't see is what has always been there every other time. And that's a lamb. That, God, that, that dad would carry a lamb there for the sacrifice. And you'll notice in the passage last week, Isaac said, well... Here's the fire, Father, here's the fire, and here's the knife, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, my son, God will provide the sacrifice. Then it says that Abraham begins to bind Isaac's hand. Now, as a teenage young man, I'm telling you, I would bolt. If I'd been there and knew what was about to happen, and all of a sudden dad is beginning to tie my hands, and he's about to lay me, take me, and lay me upon upon those those sticks and stuff... I think I would do everything I could to get out. But what you see about, you don't see that about Isaac. Isaac is responsive to his father. Isaac is, is submitted to his father. Isaac allows his father to, and remember his dad is an old guy. He could probably outrun him. I'm, I'm guessing he could outrun him. Okay? But he lets him do that. And, and again, that's the picture. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Jesus willingly let them impale him 
to that old rugged tree. And Jesus willingly died upon that cross as the sacrifice for our sin, as the substitutionary atonement for you and I who are sinners and who cannot fix our sin by ourselves. Jesus willingly went to the cross and died upon that cross. And Isaac is that kind of picture. Now today, Isaac has become a grown man. God is blessing Isaac in in the way that he promised that he would do that. And he has brought him into a land, and he is a foreigner in that land. And he has to build some relationships with people. Anybody in here besides me at times have difficulty with relationships? It usually is because of us that we have those problems. Now, the ultimate relationship for we as human beings is a relationship that God has for us with him through his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. In other words, Jesus came, Jesus died upon the cross, Jesus rose from the dead so that our sins might be forgiven and that we might have everlasting life. But there is a requirement on our part, that is a requirement of response. The Holy Spirit works in your life. The Holy Spirit convinces you that, that Christ is who he is, that he did what he, he did. The Holy Spirit brings you to that place, and yet you and I still have to respond to what the Holy Spirit has done. And if we're not careful, there are some things that can be in, our, in, our, in ourselves that might keep us from entering into that relationship. Again, nothing on God's part, but things about us attitudes, philosophies, outlooks, other things. And what I want us to do today is I want us to look at the 26th chapter, starting verse 20, uh, 12. We're going to read through verse 33. And we're going to see the story of Isaac coming into a foreign land. And, he, and, and you know what they did when they went go into a land? The first thing that they would do is they would dig a well. Why? Well, you live in the desert. Why would you need a well? Because you need water, Right? All right, they would dig a well. All right, now I want you to see this story and what happened, starting with verse 12. Here's what he said. Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great numbers of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father and they had filled them with earth and Abimelech said to Isaac go away from us for you are much mightier than we then Isaac departed from from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah and dwelt there and Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug dug in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham he called them by names, which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug, dug in the valley and found a well running, uh, running, a well of running water there. Excuse me. But the herdsmen of Gerah quarreled with Isaac's herdmen. This water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called the name of Sitna. And he moved from there and and dug another well and they. And, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called his name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him at the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will, be ble- I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. 
So he built an altar there and called the name, called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched a tent, his tent there. And there Isaac dug a well. Excuse me. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gera, and I can't say that word. So who's that? That's good enough, right? Uh, one of his friends, and from Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, we certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let us now be, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. That you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since you have done nothing, since we have done nothing, nothing to you but good and have sent away, sent you away in peace. Now, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and they drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to, came to pass that same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. There before the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. I want to uh, use this occurrence in Isaac's life to talk about relationships. And I want to talk about the ultimate relationship. In the book of Genesis, we, we understand that, that it is a book of beginnings. And we began our study with God in creation. And then we continued on with the fall of man. And we, we discovered together that God has created man for himself. That we exist at the will of God, and we exist to walk in a relationship with God. And what we've discovered is that our sin has separated us from God. It has caused us to walk away from God, and we've gone our own way. And rather than walking in the blessings of God, we find ourselves walking in the way of the world, and contrary to God. But I remind you that God never changed his mind about why he created mankind. He created mankind for himself. And then in the fullness of time, the scripture says, God sent his son, born of a virgin. Jesus, the son of God, came. And the incarnation took place. Eternal holy God taking on, on himself the, the, the flesh of his own creation. And he, he dwelt among us. He lived among us. He walked among us. Yet when he walked, he walked in perfect relationship and perfect fellowship with his father. Never sinning, never disobedient to his father. And then the time came when he would go to the cross. And I remind you again that he, didn't, he was not compelled to go to the cross by the human authorities at that day. Now, I'm sure they thought they had that kind of authority. But Jesus reminded us that, that no one could take his life. And he came for that very reason. He came to give his life as a ransom. So that, so that man and God could once again be reconciled to one another. Man can never reconcile himself to God. It took God acting toward us in order that we might know that reconciliation. Amen? Salvation is an act of God toward us. It's not, a, it's not just merely a decision that we make. It is God moving. It is God acting. It is God drawing. It is God bringing us to that place. Listen, if God did not call, if God did not act, there's not a one of us that could possibly be saved. It is God by his grace and mercy that has called us unto himself. And he's called us to not a just a religious experience, but he has called us to a living relationship 
with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, in any relationship, there has to be, you might call it give and take. I don't know if I want to say that, but, but there has to be a legitimate response. There has to be this willingness to, to enter into that relationship. There has to be at times a willingness to set aside some things that are in our lives that, that, that need to be set aside so that we might enter into that, into that relationship. In the story here that's given us about Isaac and the five wells that were dug here in this chapter, we see by the name some of the conflicts that, that we human beings have when it, when it comes to entering into relationships with one another. But yes, I, I would even carry it further. The difficulty we have at times have entering into relationships with God himself. Because we want to resist him. And we want to say to God, God, you, if we're, God, I want to believe in you, but I want to believe in you my way. It's a funny thing that we human beings do. We want to create a God in our own image rather than come to the God who has created us in his image. We want to be in control when it comes to salvation. We want to be in control when it, come, it comes to, to God working in our life. We want to be in control of everything. Yet the reality is that God is God and we are not. And because he is God, he has established what is, and we need to come to him the way he has called us to come to him. Yet we have to work through some of the emotions that we have. We have to work through some of the shortcomings that we have. I want to break this down in these five wells today. Let's look at well number one. Well number one, recorded for us there in verse 14, it says, Now he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herd and great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Jealousy is a strong emotion. Jealousy can destroy relationships. Now, the Bible deals with two kinds of jealousy. One that is tied with the word that's used here in my translation, that is envy. And by the way, God envies no one. Okay? But the Bible also tells us that God is jealous for us. And the other, and, and that's in the good sense, that is that he will not share his affection and he doesn't want us to share our affection with any other God, with any other thing. Okay? But the jealousy that's recorded here is that recorded, it speaks of envy. And the scripture here speaks of the Philistines that were envious of the way that, that, that Isaac had been blessed. And because of their envy, what did they do? They tried to take back the well. As if the well, was, was, was Isaac's source of blessing. And you notice what Isaac does. Isaac says, okay, here's the well. And what's he do? He moves on. Because Isaac understands something. Isaac understands that, that it is God who is his source of blessing. It's not the well. He understands this. That the God who provided that well can provide another well. He's going to follow God. He's not going to let jealousy destroy him. Now, when we talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ, say, well, I certainly don't have any, any sense of jealousy or envy of Jesus Christ. I don't know. Do we? Do we have this sense sometimes that, 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 that we don't want to acknowledge him for who he is? Do we have the sense that, that we would like to be where he is and, and that we would like to choose uh, how we will respond to him and, and what we will do? Uh, do, do, do you ever... In your Christian walk, do you ever try to supplant God in that, in that relationship where, where, where you are actually the one who's in control? 
Do you try to take that which belongs to God and give it to yourself? How's your prayer life today? Do, are you, do you pray as if to a sovereign God who's all-powerful? Do you pray to a God who, who's in control? Do you acknowledge Him as the Lord of all? Do you, do you, the, the Almighty God? Are you humble before Him? Or do you enter into His presence as if you're in charge? Dictating to Him what He must do and how He must do it and when He must do it. If we're not careful as Christians, we harm our relationship with God and we may even miss our relationship, a relationship with God when we have to be the one that's in control. When it comes to salvation, if there's not a brokenness, if there's not a sense of humility, then there, there can't possibly be a response to God's Holy Spirit. In other words, if I have to be God in my life, if I have to be the one that's in control, if I have to tell God how I will come to him and how he must receive me, then I'm going to miss him. I can't have that kind of relationship with him because God is God and we are not. And jealousy and envy on our part, even toward our creator, can cause us to miss that wonderful relationship that God has for us through his son, Jesus Christ. I remind you, what is the, the original sin? Well, it, it really speaks, first of all, of pride. But not only when, when pride is there, look at the next thing that happened. Satan is there in the heavenlies. Apparently, he's looking around, and he's seeing God get all this praise and worship and stuff. And then Isaiah records for us, he says, I will be like the Most High. You see the envy, the jealousy that's built up in there and causes him to be actually to be cast out of that place. If we cannot move past the need for us to be God of our own lives, the captains of our own destiny, in charge of how we're going to come to God and how he must receive us and stuff, then church, we'll miss him. And that's true when it comes to salvation. Girls, I need you to have a seat, please. That's true when it comes to salvation. Girls, come on around and have a seat. Thank you. That's true when it comes to salvation. That's also true when it comes when it comes to our walk as Christians. We can't let self get in there. Okay? The second well, well number two, look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, But the herdsmen of Gerah quarreled with the herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isaac because they quarreled with him. The word, word literally means argument or strife. Now, when it comes to our relationship with God, do you want to argue with him? Do you want to, you want to tell him what is and how it needs to be? Do you, do, you, do you want to contend with him? Do you want to fight with him? Or do you want to be responsive to him? You see, we, we have this tendency again, not only from a perspective of jealousy, but, but many times from a, from, from a perspective of, of, of we've got to have it our way. In many cases, even in salvation, we, we want to tell God again how that salvation is going to come. You ever wonder why there are so many denominations? And I'm not just talking about 
biblical denominations. I'm talking about, about groups that, that will teach their people that there are many ways to salvation. And by the way, you can just choose any way that you want. And if you don't like the way that the Holy Spirit is leading you to salvation, you can tell him that, and then you can choose how you want to come to him. Strife, argumentative, contending with God, trying again to tell God what is and how it will be. It's hard to have a relationship when that relationship is based upon conflict. At being, as the Bible talks about, at being at enmity with one another. Always contending with one another. Uh, you know, the, the Bible has a lot to say about this. Particularly writer Proverbs talk about quarrelsome people. And how it's, you know, it's not good to, it's not fun, it's not good to live with quarrelsome people. You can't have a relationship with somebody that you're always fighting with. Or you can't, let me put it this way, you can't have a good relationship with them. And God wants to, wants us to realize that he loves us. He's our loving, caring father, and he has done everything that's necessary for us to know him in that relationship. And there's no reason, or there's no, there's no sense that we need to come and quarrel with him about these things. When you think about salvation, the relationship that God has for us, he has really done such a wonderful thing for us, just laying it out there for us, doing everything that's needed for salvation, and then calling us, and calling us but to, to, to trust him. But sometimes we want to argue, but God, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I don't really sin. I'm not really that bad. We argue with them about even our, even our spiritual state. And we spend our time arguing with him instead of responding to him, and we miss the relationship that God has for us in salvation. Now, to the church, if we're not careful, even as Christians we get in arguments with God. God moves in your life, God directs you in your, li- in your life, and you say, no, nope, that's not what I want to do. That's not where I want to go. I said in my writings this morning uh, to the church and stuff, talked about how we do that. We, we, God moves in our life and God shows us something and, and, uh, and, and, we, and we, we, we go to God and say, God, whatever you have to do in my life, please do that. And whatever needs to be done that, that, your, that your name might be glorified to me, please do whatever that is. Then God begins to do whatever he decides to do. And we say, wait a minute, God, I didn't mean, li- I didn't mean that. I really meant bless me. Then I'll glorify you. But sometimes God works in our life and there, and he brings hard things into our life. He brings difficult things into our life. And we've got to be careful that we don't keep our eyes focused on the situation and the circumstance, but we keep our eyes focused upon the Lord that is there. And trust him to be who he is. Instead of getting in arguments with him, an ardu- a contrary spirit and an argumentative attitude, is not conducive to a good relationship, not with one another, nor particularly and specifically with God. When God chooses to move in your life, if you're here today and you have not received, never trusted Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart right now, listen to him. Receive what he has. Don't get in an argument with him. Trust him to show you what he has for you. And my Christian brothers and sisters, as God guides our path through the days ahead, let's let him take us wherever he wants to take us. Let's let him be the guy. He knows what's best, and he knows where we need to go. Let's not get in an argument with him. The two words, the two words that guarantee a successful Christian walk. You know what they are? The two words to guarantee 
a successful Christian walk. Here they are. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Not a call. We don't worry about the results. The results belong to him. But you want to walk as a successful Christian? There are two words it takes, and it comes from the heart. Yes, Lord. It's the same thing for salvation. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, draw you to Jesus, two words. Yes, Lord, I trust. Walking as Christian, yes, Lord. And we see the success and the blessings of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Regardless of the situation and the circumstance, God is glorified in the life of his child that rather than argue with him and contend with, contend with him, we are responsive to him and we are obedient to him and we trust him in everything. Well, number three, verse 21. Then they dug another well. So you see, Isaac moves from that well. Because it was a place of argument. So he digs another well. And verse, and it, here's what it said, verse 21. And they dig another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called the name Sitna. Sitna. And that, that name Sitna, 21, means, it means accusation. It means enmity. It means at odds. So it's not just a matter of arguing over the well, although that's a part of it. But it, it literally speaks of, a place of conflict, a place of battle, a, 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 a place where uh, rather than respond, you've chosen to be at odds with one another. That's what that, what that word means. It, it, it carries on from the jealousy. It carries on for, from the argumentative attitude, and it moves on to, to this all-out battle with each other. All-out conflict with each other. That if something doesn't happen, you're you're actually going to go go to go to throwing down on each other, and get in, in, into a, a literal fight with one another. I think it's interesting that there there seems to be a progression here when it comes to relationships and stuff. When you deal with other people, it could start with a little thing, and if you don't take care of it, it can build into art, an argumentative state where you're. You're, you're at odds with one another as, as, you, as you argue with each other and contend with each other, and it literally can move into a place where you could actually have physical altercation. I mean, you're actually standing against each other. And that's what this, this word means. It carries it a little bit further than just being at odds with another. It speaks of a literal battle that goes on. And quite frankly, the truth is there is a battle that's going on for the souls of men. There's a battle that's going on. And certainly we could say that battle is between heaven and hell, but most of the time it's a battle between us and heaven. The Bible says that the, the, the cross or the preaching of the cross is, is an offense to those who are perishing. I always sit back and I watch atheists and unbelievers. They get all upset about God, you know, it blows my mind, an atheist getting all upset about God. So you're upset about a God you don't even believe exists. I mean, that makes no sense. And I don't understand why lost people have a real problem with us believing in God or believing in Jesus. I don't understand. Except the reality is, is that, that it is an offense. The preaching of the cross, the teaching of the cross is an offense to them. It offends them to the, to the core of their being. And so they can't just say, okay, you believe as you want to believe, and I'll believe as I want to believe. There, there's a battle that go, that's going on there. There's a, there's a fight going on. 
And Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter, chapter 6 that there is a spiritual battle that's going on all the time. And he uses, he uses militaristic terms like warfare. And he reminds us that, that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. But it is against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There's a battle going on all the time. And it's not just this benign uh, difference of opinion. And it's not just an, a, a place of, of argument. It actually is a literal battle that's going on. It's a struggle for many people to put their faith in Jesus. Even when the Holy Spirit draws them. Even when they've come to the place where they've, they've worked through the thought that they're not God any longer. Even when they've worked through the place where, where they have no more arguments. Yet there's still something there in our human being, in our, in our human psyche, if you will, or spirit, or whatever term you want to use there, that, that, that causes us to, to, to be at enmity with what God offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ. From my perspective, I just don't understand how anybody could reject the gospel. I mean, it's just so wonderful. Why didn't everybody? I, this is the good stuff. Jesus did for me what I could not do, and what he called me to is to respond to him and put my faith in him. He holds eternity anyway, so why would I, con why would, why would I be at enmity with him? He holds eternity. I get it. But I also understand that unless the Holy Spirit gives enlightenment, no one would get it. But as the Holy Spirit gives that enlightenment, I, I still don't understand how some still walk away. There's things that I just don't, I confess to you, I just don't understand. But there's something within us that, you might call it sin, you might call the nature of sin that's within us, that makes us at odds with God, at enmity with God, at, at literal conflict with God. I talked about two words when it comes to the matter of arguments. And we come to this place where we have accusations or, or uh, enmity with God or conflict with God. There's something that's required of us also. And I, I use this as a, a universal symbol. You know what this is? Anybody know what this is? What's it, what is it? What I, what I got in my hands? What I have in my hand? Nothing. You see, when it comes to this matter of this point of conflict in a relationship with God, the one thing that's needed on our part is a willingness to surrender. To come to God with empty hands. To submit ourselves to who he is. To stop fighting him and say, Lord, I surrender. It's crazy to fight God, folks. You want to know why? You can't win. It's kind of like being a Cardinals fan. They can't win. Yeah, I'm telling you. I knew that would get some of you. Think about that. Isn't it insanity to fight against God? But it does take a willingness to say, Lord, I surrender, to stop the fighting. That brings us to well number four. Look at verse 22. Here's what he said. And they moved from there, and they dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called the name, its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us. We shall be fruitful in the land. I love this. Rehoboth, which means God has made room. Listen. This is wonderful. I think it's wonderful. 
God will always make room for the heart that would be responsive to him. You say, which hearts are those? I don't know. But I do know he knows. God will always make room for the hearts that respond to him. God is not there to condemn. Say, how do you know that? I've read the words of Jesus. John 3, 17. I did not come into the world to condemn the world. The world is condemned already, but I came into the world that it might be saved through me. Isn't that a wonderful text? God will always make room for the heart that will be responsive to him. God is able to take all the clutter out. He's able to take, remove all the arguments. He's able to remove the, the confrontational spirit, if you will. He's able to remove the thought of that you've got to fight against him. And he's able to make room. I would say to you, that's what he does best. I guarantee you when those of you who are in here, including myself, that profess Jesus Christ as our Savior... I, I guarantee you that our lives and our souls were cluttered with all kinds of junk when, when, when God found us. I guarantee it. And, and, and God, the Holy Spirit, somehow miraculously was able to work through the jealousy and to work through, through the argumentative, argumentative uh, spirit that we might have and the conflict that we might have with him. And he began to make room so that we might come to the place where we could possibly respond to him and trust him as our Savior. How does this apply to the Christian church today? We've got to be very careful in our own personal lives and even the life of the church that we don't clutter it so much that we miss our Savior. We don't find ourselves so busy that we miss our Savior. You know, the acronym that I gave you in one of my writings for busy, remember what it was? Being under Satan's yoke. Busyness causes us. Clutter causes us. Being confined causes us to miss our Savior. The, book, the, the prophet of Isaiah talks about and prays to God, God, expand my territory. Talks about God, take the, take my tent post. Now this is the kind of picture. Take my tent post and stretch them out. God, make room for what you want to do. I'm convinced that the church, at many times, is so cluttered with things and, and and events that we actually push our Savior aside. When what we ought to be about in everything is about Jesus whether it's about Jesus in our worship or Jesus in our teaching or Jesus in our ministering and fellowship to one another or Jesus in our sharing the gospel to the world out there, it ought to be about Jesus. And we need to remove a lot of the clutter that shouldn't be there. Well, let's look at the fifth one. and We'll close out after this. The fifth well, verses 23 through 33. I'm not going to read that whole thing to you again. But he talks about a king, Abimelech, who had rejected, at the beginning of the reading, remember he rejected Isaac and he said, hey, you're too much trouble, Isaac. You need to get out of here. So what's Isaac do? He 
pulls up his tent pegs, and he moves on. Well, over a period of time, this king, Abimelech, begins to see, wait a minute. God's hand is on Isaac. God, this, this is a blessed man, and I may have been wrong in rejecting Isaac. I may have been wrong in telling him to leave. I may have been, you know, wrong in, 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 in confronting him in that way. Abimelech comes to his senses, and he meets, look at this, he meets Isaac on the other side of jealousy. On the other side of arguments, on the other side of accusation, to the place where God has made room. He meets Isaac at that place. And he says to Isaac, You know what? We need to swear an oath to one another. We need to enter into, and don't miss this word, a covenant with one another. The word covenant is also, another word used for that is testament. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Another word more familiar to, to us is the word promise. We need to enter into a promise with, with one another here. And notice what that promise included. Isaac, you're welcome around us now. Isaac, we see that God is blessing you, and so we want to dwell with you so that we might know the blessings that God has. This is, this is the well that they dug at the end. I call it the well of restoration. One time they were told to go their both, both ways. Now, somehow, miraculously, through all this that we've seen, God has brought them back together. And I don't tell you why I believe that happened for Isaac, because in all of this, Isaac never stood up in his own flesh and said, this isn't right. I've got to have what I've got to have. I'm going to do it my way. In every case, Isaac trusts God. And he moves wherever God tells him to move. And now look what God's done. God, God has brought him around full circle to one who has rejected him. Now this one has come to Isaac and says, hey, we need to enter into a promise together. We need to take an oath together. Come into a covenant together. Now, I want you to see this, and I'll close it out from here. God created man. And man walked in fellowship and harmony with God, and everything was wonderful, perfect. I don't think we can imagine what it must have been like in the Garden of Eden, walking and talking with God and hearing directly from God. must have been a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place. Sin enters in to the heart of man. Man enters into disobedience, and man goes his own way, contrary to God. He moves from God. He moves away from God. He cho chooses his own way rather than choosing God's way. And he's away from God. God never ceases to be who he mercifully and graciously is toward mankind. And God sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus dies on the cross. And Jesus rises from the dead. And now the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of men to bring them back full circle full circle, to where God always intended for us to be. A lot of struggle involved in that. Personal, and even in human history, there's been a lot of struggle in that. But what I want you to see this morning in the story of Isaac and the wells is I want you to see the faithfulness of God. And here's what I want you to know. If you are here this morning, 
you are not here by coincidence. And whether you are an unbeliever today, you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus yet, or you are a believer today, we all struggle with our relationship with God. Some in establishing it, and some of us in daily walking in it. And there are things in our life that God needs to move aside so that we can be responsive to him. For the unbeliever to respond to him in faith and trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And put your soul and your life in his hands. And for the believer, that God might move the clutter aside and the attitude aside. Anybody else have an attitude beside me? An attitude. The attitudes aside so that we might humbly walk before our God and see God do things that only God can do in his body. I don't know what well you're standing at right now. I don't know what what are the five wells you're at right now. I'm really hoping that, hoping beyond hope, that everybody in this building here today is, is standing at well number five. We're ready for some restoration. Maybe for the first time to come to Jesus for your Lord and Savior. Or maybe once again as the church to come back to God to recognize him as Lord of the church and respond to him for who he is. And stop the envy. Stop the, 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 the battling him with words. Stop the enmity that we have between him and us. Let him make room in your heart. Let him make room in his church. And let us respond to him for who he is. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me this morning. Head bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. Just a couple more minutes, then I'm going to let you go. Now listen, please listen. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I need to remind you of something. God loves you. But the Bible teaches me that God loves you. And again, I don't believe you're here by accident. And I don't know the reason why you came here today. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you just came. But you're here by divine appointment. I believe that completely. And I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart beyond the words that I could put together. And I believe he's done that because he loves you. And I believe he's done that because he wants to bring you into a relationship with God where you can know that your sins are forgiven, you can know that you have everlasting life. I believe God loves you that much that he's calling you today to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And we're going to give you that opportunity here in just a moment. Secondly, I believe this. I believe the Lord is speaking to his church. And I believe he's called this church to meet him at well number five. And to let him restore in us who he is once again. Let him restore in us a heart that is receptive and not contrary to who he is. Restore in us a sense of humility and, and that we would set the pride aside and, and, and the envy aside and the jealousy aside and we, and we would be just responsive to God so that we might see him continue to make enough room for what he wants to do in our lives, in his church, and in the kingdom as a whole. But in both cases, it is going to take a response on our part. If you're here without the Lord and you feel the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you're going to need to respond to him. You're going to need to acknowledge him. You're going to need to trust him. And if you're here as a Christian day and you say, you know what? It's been about me, not about him. And I need to be restored to what God has for me in Christ Jesus. It's going to take a response from you too, my Christian brother and sister. 
We've got to come to him. Finally, if you're here today and God has brought you to this church and he wants you to be part of this fellowship, we encourage you to respond to his leadership, his Holy Spirit, and come as he leads you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you that you are a, you are a God of, of relationships. And the ultimate relationship is with we who have sinned against you. But in your grace and your mercy, you sent your son. And on the cross, Jesus did everything that was necessary to pay for our sin so that we could be reconciled to you, Father. And he guaranteed that work and that reconciliation by, by rising from the dead. So, Lord, I pray sincerely and earnestly that if there's someone here today that needs your son, that needs to, to respond to the call unto salvation, to trust you, I pray that in these next few moments they will do that. And I pray, the Lord, for your church. I pray that we'll be a church that walks in right relationship with you and relationship with one another. We'll not let these things that, that are spoken of in these, these three wells particularly hinder us from walking in relationship with you and with one another. Lord, make room in our hearts for one another. Make room in your church for, what, for, for you to be, to be the center of everything that takes place here. And Lord, I pray you bring restoration. Restore us, revive us as the people of God. Holy Spirit, do whatever you need to do to accomplish what you want to accomplish in each of our lives here this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.